and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Messel, episode 102. In this episode, I'm covering Vader, who are, without question, the most prolific and long-running death metal band to uh, come out of Poland. And, honestly, like they have a discography comparable to pretty much any of the, the giants of death metal. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to do one of these where I go through the every studio release in their discography because it's uh denser than i initially thought i'm gonna talk about any live releases i already knew but not every single one of them but every kind of demo ep and studio album i'm gonna cover in some depth so i've been a big fan of vader since my teens so i thought this would be a relatively easy episode to put together i've more or less i can go through it giving every album a cursory one or two listens. But when I put all their studio stuff into a playlist, it came out as well over 20 hours long. So that's the kind of uh, density of discography we're dealing with here. Most of you are probably fairly familiar with Vader, but if, if not, they are um, they're kind of well-known for being a band that kind of sound slightly proto-death metal because there's a there's a good size thrash influence in their, their sound as well as... Um, well as kind of the more traditionally death metal elements. And reason for this is probably the length of time they've been around and kind of the pool of influences. They they started all the way back in 1983, although there's not a great deal of record of the first few years of their existence. Band's always been led by um, guitarist and vocalist Peter, although he's credited with bass in the very early years and didn't take over on vocals until their, their second uh, second release. Um, their, their debut release, their first demo, comes in 1988, so before this there's not really much to go on. Apparently they were kind of a more of a heavy metal band to start with, and as they went through the 80s, started embracing more and more kind of aggressive, harsher sounds. And by the time we get to their, their debut demo, Live in Decay, or Live in Decay, it's got to be live, right? Um, they've definitely morphed into like a real gnarly death thrash band. This is one of those releases, I'd say it is only interesting as a record for um, for fans. Like, this, it's a live recording of a gig, because, and the band just rushed out to do it because they wanted something to, to be able to sell, something they could... I think Peter was well into his tape trading, and he wanted something he could send off to people. So they recorded this gig, and the sound is really, really rough and raw. It's the only, as I say, the only release without Peter on vocals. So we have um, we have uh, Sani uh, credited with vocals throughout. It's kind of got a cool, kind of scratchy scream. Uh, all the lyrics are in Polish because apparently he had no, like, he just wasn't capable of learning like the English translations of the lyrics. And honestly, this is unrecognizable as as Vader. Something that become apparent as soon as we get into the next couple of releases. It's totally lacking their sort of trademark ultra tight rhythm section the solos are like melodic and kind of heavy metal inspired um and actually even peter is going via a different nickname at this stage he's called behemoth which is um interesting considering who their main sort of rivals as most popular extreme metal band uh in poland would end up uh being also yeah say i'm blessed with i won't have to pronounce any polish names in this because almost everyone who's worked with vader goes under a pseudonym um so yeah peter that's not his, his true name but i won't uh i won't butcher uh, his real name or i'll go with everyone's pseudonyms uh, for, for this episode but as i say live in decay rather a kind of uh, a footnote in the band's discography only kind of worthy of being mentioned because it is the first 
the first release they had. Realistically, what we think of as Vader starts directly after this. So the entire lineup of this album dissolves the the drummer, guitarist, as drummer, vocalist, and bass player all sort of quit the band. And what really gives Vader their sound is the injection of new drummer Doc and his incredible playing abilities. Like this guy, even you know, he would have been very early twenties, I think, at this point was already an incredible drummer. And we we are talking, so this will be kind of 89 time. He is one of those, like, sort of legendary characters in, in metal, one of those drummers that was pushing the extremity of, like, blasting double kick stuff to a real um, impressive place, you know, worthy, I think, of being mentioned in the same breath as people like Pete Sandoval or Gene Hoagland, like those true kind of legendary drummers yeah doc was was something else at this time he was also in a few other projects i don't think vader was his uh like only thing by any means uh notably it's worth looking up uh slashing deaths kill me because i can't stop um but he's like sort of more death grindy project that was a bit more loose and raw than what vader were going for and then also uh unborn's um demo Unbirthday, which is more in a similar vein to what Vader were doing, although a more traditional kind of death metal vocal approach. So these these other kind of demo bands were he was running at the same time as as Vader, um, and yeah, like all worth going back to. Sadly, none of them I think particularly made it out of that early kind of demo phase. Uh, the the lineup is then rounded out by uh, Jackie on bass. Which I believe at this point actually is um, a credited, uh, like an actual bass player. Whereas we'll, when we go into later albums, I, I, I think Peter pretty much records the bass uh, going forward. Interestingly, with these demos, I was um, listening to an interview on Reaper Metal Productions uh, with Peter, where he's saying these um, these first two demos, the uh, the kind of Necrolust demo that came out a year later, nineteen eighty nine, and Morbid Reich that follows were these amazing things where I, I believe, I think the story was like a local radio station would like essentially give a band a bit of studio time and record them for a really nominal fee just so they could play the music. And actually, for some reason, they didn't seem to have any issue with recording stuff as heavy and extreme as Vader were. Whereas Vader now don't sound like, you know, the most brutal band you've ever heard. But Vader in 89 is incredibly extreme. This is really, you know, early days of death metal. And yeah, like they they had a very heavy edge. But apparently, yeah, they were able to get studio time and put together this four-track demo for essentially the gift of a bottle of vodka. As the sound of uh, 1989's Necrolust demo, it's, it's a pretty rough affair. Again, I, I think it's one that probably I wouldn't advise revisiting too often. Peter hasn't quite worked out what he's doing vocally. Very much, I like I've heard him say in a lot of interviews, he never had any intention of being a vocalist. The band just needed one after their previous vocalist quit, so he started attempting to growl. And what comes out on this one is he's he's got some good stuff to it. Like the the opening track, uh, "Decapitated Saints," has some of like the fastest vocals, like this side of Archspire, like, I remember, like, first coming across this song from Vader and was utterly amazed at the speed of the delivery, and he's he's got a good, like, really good enunciation, which will, you know, 
go forward with the band for a long time but like the guitar tone's pretty terrible on this the the capture of the drumming isn't amazing but the band sound really tight it's night and day between this and the previous recording this new lineup are incredibly impressive like peter's rhythm guitar work is utterly amazing like he's such a kind of fast competent technical guitarist and in terms of the riffs this really feels like someone took that kind of creator and sodom sort of uh especially the earlier arms those bands that kind of nasty but like still quite technical thrash and just detuned it a bit and just took the took the drumming to a more death metal place with more blast beats and and honestly as well like more complex structures more kind of riffs everywhere and the, these four tracks are really really show that off well like i think a core Vader's sound is essentially a band who just wanted to do a much heavier version of what kind of Slayer started out on, particularly like uh, the Rain in Blood era. And yeah, Necrolus, you can hear that, particularly as well with the solos. Um, for the early Vader albums, the solos are all these kind of whammy bar and dive bomb driven, just like horrendous noise that's like vaguely in tune, um, you know, very a la Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King. Yeah, so at this point, as they like gone of the heavy metal style solos, really it's approaching what Vader would go on to be what they would start sounding like but just a few more things needed to kind of fall into place based off the quality of the necrolos demo which peter was getting out and about via his sort of tape trading connections uh vader were briefly picked up by carnage records who um they've got a few sort of notable acting they they put out the first um rossing christ album um They've certainly, they at least did distribution for a Brutal Truth album and a Bolt for Arm. Seems like they're vaguely connected to, like, the uh, the Earache lineup. But, um, oh yeah, yeah, and they put out uh, Magnus's Gods of Crime, which is another excellent sort of Polish uh, death metal album from this era. Yeah, so they had the attention, they were able to go into an actual studio to record their, their third and final demo, uh, Morbid Reich. And what happened is they just created one of the most legendary death metal demos in in the entire history of death metal. The, the stat used to be, and I'm not sure if this still holds true, that it's the highest selling death metal demo. Which, I, I don't know how meaningful that actually is, because a lot of demos just don't get a huge pressing, so it's clear... This one, they printed up a lot of copies, but they sold, so it's certainly getting a lot of attention. And when you listen to it, it is the, just the next step up the band needed. There's suddenly a great, like, the guitar now sounds fantastic, the drum recording is excellent, and the band have clearly put in the work between this and Necrolust. Um, Peter's vocals have once again kind of changed. They've gone to this much more low, almost guttural, whispery sound. It's uh, quite a strange delivery on this, but it, it, it certainly shoots the music. And the the performances are just fantastic. The 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 drumming and guitar work is as tight as ever, and the song structures feel like they made a slight step up in complexity from the from the previous. Although to be honest, all the material from Necrolus and Morbid Reich would be re-recorded for the debut album, barring the song The Wrath, which is then re-recorded later in their career. So you can tell like if they've been working at this stuff for like five six years like they, they'd clearly settled on a lot of these riffs and wanted to get like a great um recording of them but yeah the like morbid right definitely showcases some of the stronger material from uh ultimate incantation and tracks like the final massacre is so perfect on this like coming away from that sort of 
that amazing like drum intro it has like the dive bomb solo sounds so much gnarlier like and just yeah finally getting a good recording of this like the band have really sort of stepped up their game and created that kind of real um aggressive fast-paced death thrash sound they'd sort of become known for the only slight criticism i have with the morbid right demo especially versus the album that would follow it is i've always thought rain carrion was an odd choice of ending track it's it's kind of like a rare one for vader that crosses the six minute mark and slows down and gets a bit more mid-tempo whereas i feel vader really uh are at their best when they're going going like full pace uh yeah but that's that's a, that's a minor criticism it's still a cool song it just means the album doesn't quite come to come to an ending as uh, as well as it could also cool like cool album cover for this like i've never been able to work out what is going on in the album cover but it's very very striking and the the vader logo is there that that kind of uh pointed like sharp pointed very clear logo one thing i realize i haven't addressed at this point is the name vader it very much is a reference to the the star wars character a um a character that peter was always very fond of and thought made a fitting name for a band it's interesting i think i'm so used to it i i kind of forget that that kind of connection but yeah at any rate they this this their third demo came out and really showcased they were on their way to something there was a lot of buzz about it in the underground and it got to the attention of eric records who promptly signed them and uh you know put up the money to record their debut full-length album Does it hold up as like the like that kind of title of best death metal demo ever? I don't think so. I, I mean, I've certainly heard people arguing it, but it, it's still a really cool like artifact and one I regularly revisit. the The issue it has for me is I think most of the songs I prefer on the upcoming Ultimate Incantation album. The fact this material sort of exists elsewhere, particularly with Peter's ever in increasing vocal ability, means that. I still feel Morbid Reich, as good a quality as it is, always feels like a touch, kind of a footnote in their discography, despite its its kind of wild success. So it took them um, a further two years to, to get out their debut album, The Ultimate Incantation. And I think this is kind of why Vader always sit at that slightly lower level in terms of... Um, I don't know, they sort of influence in the, in the pool of death metal that they were just that few years behind the kind of the American scene and, and even a touch behind the Swedish scene. Like, a, you know, I, I think like most of those bands had their debut out just before Vader. But what's incredible is they were able to get to this point from behind the Iron Curtain, essentially, where 
you know, their their journey, it was so much harder to get hold of not only musical equipment, but even sort of music. Like the, you know, Peter would spend his days, and Doc as well, I believe, going around to like, traveling like the length of the country to make badly recorded tapes of like, you know, copies of other people's demo tapes and, you know, just trying to get decent equipment. They're saying like the the marvels of getting into stu- like a studio to do the morbid write demo that had an actual proper drum kit, something that was kind of impossible to get hold of. So somehow like Doc was, you know, training this like incredible drumming ability with very limited access to to kind of drum kits. And when you're listening to say like uh, the ultimate invitation, when it gets to those like blasting sessions, the guy is is precise and intense in a way that could only be the result of massive training. So how he's managing to do it in these scenarios is is incredible. So Ultimate Incantation, it has all that amazing material. I, I really love the the kind of demo material. I think those songs particularly like still actually hold up live. You tracks like uh, Final Massacre, Dark Age, um, Breath of Centuries, like these are still amazing songs. The issue is, like, the recording still isn't quite there. The guitar tone is quite, but rhythm guitar particularly, is quite buzzy and kind of, like, lacks a, a bite that Vader really require because it's such a precise, complex, rhythmic machine that, yeah, just not having that kind of um, real heft to the guitars does let things down somewhat. The drumming is actually very well captured on this. I really like um, Doc's performance. is well and truly the highlight of the show. And at this point, the lineup has been rounded out. We still have Jackie on bass, um, and China has now joined on guitar. So there's even more in the way of these kind of like whammy bar dive bomb solos. The the opening track and single Dark Age um, is full of them, like absolutely like all over the place and chaotic and wild as ever and and the tone of those is great it's just yeah that rhythm guitar somewhat lacking punch and peter's voice is approaching what it would be so peter's got a very strange delivery in death metal he does not sound like any other vocalist and is really quite recognizable anywhere he goes for this kind of very rasping clear sound um and he's, like, incredible for his enunciation, often, like, very, very fast delivery. And you can kind of see that touch of where, like, it, it does put me in mind of, like, the German thrash bands more, where it's sort of, like, a very harsh, like, sort of higher voice rather than going for your, you know, your cannibal corpse and, like, suffocation gutturals. Like, it's, it's more up there. Which means, like, as much as maybe this phrase is meaningless, like... Vader have never struck me as a particularly brutal band, but they come across incredibly aggressive in a way that, I guess, thrashes more so than, say, you listen to, like, the kind of what we term brutal death metal isn't necessarily hugely aggressive because it's not as it's not as fast and it's not as, like... It's just delivered with this kind of anger and harshness that um, that, that sort of higher-range vocal can kind of offer. And so, yeah, Vader always have this quite kind of furious intense energy to them while not necessarily sounding brutal uh if that makes any sense what's interesting actually is comparing this to morbid reich is for some reason i I think it might even be the vocal performance final massacre does not sound as intense as on the as on the uh the previous release but i yeah it's a (laughs) it's a subtle change and it's a song they they keep re-recording so um you know 
choose your favourite of the 19 studio versions you can find of it. Um, I think as well, what's quite nice about this album is they chose a stronger end track, like Rain Carrion sort of buried in the middle of the runtime, where a kind of slowdown and pace feels a bit more natural, whereas this one comes to a close with Decapitated Saints followed by Breath of Centuries, like one kind of old, excellent staple, and then a newer track they I don't think was on the demos that's really, yeah, excellently written and more of an intense, like, kind of final statement. It's an oddly long album for Vader, actually. Like, it's it's almost 50 minutes runtime of more or less the same style throughout, which I think does somewhat try the patience. Like, they, I think they realise later on, like, trimming these albums down. This one's, like, almost 12 tracks, including the intro. Trimming them down to a slightly shorter runtime just suits the band because they... They operate at such high intensity. 50 minutes of this is a, is a lot to consume. So earlier I was talking about the kind of um, the odd sound of this. I think somewhat of the uh, recording can be put down to kind of desperation. Apparently the album was originally first recorded at Sunlight Studios, but was just such an absolute disaster that it was, um, was entirely scrapped. Um, and then they ended up recording it, uh, going over to the UK to record a totally new version of the album um, uh, with uh, Paul Johnston in, in a in a London-based studio. So yeah, I think <laughs> I can imagine the band being fairly desperate to get something something kind of completed like that. And yeah, apparently the you know the recording of this album was marred by all kinds of difficulty, and particularly that double recording it probably delayed its release again, which just meant. Vader, one of those bands, were doing something excellent, and had they been on the map like a moment earlier, I think who knows how huge they could have been in terms of the scene. I mean, they're still massively popular band, but um, yeah, I wonder if this had been out like a year earlier, if uh, <laughs> it really would have um, sort of blown minds more. couple of little flaws of the album it's still absolutely like a masterful and well worth revisiting and this really kind of put uh, Vader on the international scale they 
were able to tour with loads of classic bands from um, Eric's lineup. They had a music video done for Dark Age, which one of my favourite Vader songs, but my god, that music video is utterly bizarre. Well worth a watch, but it is like really cheaply done and just throwing all the imagery possible together in one go. But yeah, yeah, like that got playtime on MTV. There's there's actually an interview from 1993, I think, when they're on tour in, I believe, the UK, where, where Peter's sort of being interviewed uh, on MTV. And um, what's interesting is you can tell he's still grappling with English. Like, um, the sort of lyrics to the earlier Vader albums are, are all in English, barring that very first release. Um, which, again, I think even that was intended to be in English because that was just the way to... Uh, to sort of break through, you had to write in English, and he see he you can see in this he's very nervous and sort of struggling with words. Whereas you know later albums he'd become kind of very fluent, and his lyrics actually get quite poetic. Whereas all the incantation they're still a bit um, scattergun, lots of just like scary sounding phrases coupled together. But they're, they're, I mean they still have their charm to them. So off the back of all this touring, Vader actually for some strange reason put out a live album, uh, Darkest Age Live '93. Which is, it's an awkward one because it is just uh, the ultimate incantation played start to finish live, and it doesn't doesn't sound better than the album. And honestly, a band this early in their career just playing their one album full. It, it's a strange release. Again, I'd say very much for completists only. But something interesting that does come out uh 94, the um sort of around the same time, is the Sophist EP, the first of Vader's many EPs. And why their discography is so incredibly dense. The band tend to put out like an EP between every album and they've done a lot of albums at this point. Um Sophist is is kind of interesting structurally. It's um Three short, like, instrumental interludes. Like, most their their releases up to now, they've played around with doing uh, a kind of odd, like, instrumental intro, something that was a bit more kind of epic and atmospheric. But for my money, none of the early ones really connect well enough into the songs. Um, they, they do feel very much like, oh, here's someone in the studio playing a couple of keyboards, and then that stops, and then there's blast beats. Sophist starts to get the hang of this, and it's interesting, it's a theme that continues throughout Vader's discography, like the the kind of trying to get these epic, sort of vaguely orchestral intros on stuff, and uh, this album, I think, or this EP, I should say, is, is the start point of that idea. Then we have um, kind of a, a, few, a few interesting tracks in between, so um, Sophist and Visions and the Voice are both tracks that would um, would appear on the next album in in different versions, and track five is the Wrath, um, which is previously on the Necrolust demo, and they've re-recorded a version of it here, which is just so vastly superior. So, say um, his kind of voice is ever improving, and honestly, the recording of Sophist sounds way better than the the previous album like although these are almost kind of like demo versions of songs that will be making it onto their next album they sound as impressive as hell and it's apparently an album they are uh still very fond of because uh i remember seeing them live a while ago where they played this and Black to the Blind, uh, back to back so they played this full ep so it's clearly something that meant a lot to the band and i think 
named after Sophis, which is one of their sort of legendary tracks, um, clearly was something that meant a lot. I don't know how well it did, like, popularity-wise compared to their other releases. EPs are always a weird one on that front. But it certainly set the stage well for um, their second album, 1995's De Profundis. So at this point, I think actually Sophis was kind of where... Um, where this first happened. Um, so uh, their bass player, Jackie, left the band um, and wasn't replaced. Peter played bass on that album. And I think basically from this point onwards, the band will always be Peter playing guitar, like all rhythm guitar, bass and vocals. A second guitarist will come in and add some solos. And obviously there's a drummer um, for, for the next few releases, Doc. So it really is mostly Peter working with a drummer. There's bass players credited. Um, by the time we get to Deeper Thunder, Shambo's joined the band. China's still there as second guitarist. But um, I don't believe beyond maybe some sort of whammy bar solos, China appears on the album. I don't think Shambo appears on it at all. So to get into Deeper Thunder, this is where the band suddenly pull it all together. This album is, and in my humble opinion, an absolute masterpiece. From the, you know, straight down to the really striking uh, cover image of these kind of demonic gargoyles. The the production has suddenly, like, just come together. The rhythm guitars now have this really heavy crunch to them. Doc's drumming is so front and centre. They don't even piss around with um, kind of a, a, a weird intro on this one. It's just straight in with kind of a, like explosive noise and then the epic complex riffing of Silent Empire. The technicality has gone up to the next level. If you listen to a track like Blood of Kingu, the first two minutes of this is this mad sort of endless like, like kind of repeating pattern of riffs that just, yeah, really tough to follow, but immensely tight and intricate uh, silent empire we get to see doc just absolutely showing off like i don't believe there's any vocals for about the first two minutes and it's just drum fill after drum fill where the like the, you know he's just sort of going crazy over this like rapidly changing structure silent empire another like absolute like monumental opening track for vader one like i always hope to see live and they're they're playing because it's just massively engaging. Um, yeah, we get another version of Sophist on this, which I think is marginally better than the, the EP version, but honestly, they're both great. Uh, the, there's another single in the form of uh, Incarnation, another kind of... i say that one's kind of more in a vein with Dark Age, where it's like really littered with a lot of those kind of over-the-top whammy bar solos and has some kind of... It's got some more obvious hooks, particularly in the chorus, whereas say, tracks like uh, Blood of Kingu um, and Reborn in Flames are a bit more aggressive and, and angry. Sophist, again, actually quite an aggressive track. But yeah, this, this album is basically flawless start to finish. I love the way it sounds. I think it's some of the most creative stuff they've done. It's um it's probably the most vet like one of the most there's some maybe later in their career, but certainly of like the first um first like kind of eight or so albums like this is the most varied like there's there's kind of um like some really atmospheric parts to to reborn in flames it's even got like a kind of a melodic solo um there's yeah parts with things like slow down and lots of these kind of very technical kind of showy songs um and it's just brilliant the whole way through again they, they sort of learned the lesson from the previous album as well um it's only 
35 minutes long. It's it's far more kind of digestible at nine tracks, but there's absolutely no fat on it. Peter's vocals, I, I for me, this is where he's really found his voice. They, that super clear delivery where he's added like lots of echo and random bits of backing vocal and stuff. Like he just seems very confident as a vocalist on this. And I think this is the, way, this, the point where he starts cementing himself as a really recognizable voice in death metal. Very different from most vocalists, but I, I really like that kind of sound. Um, it just keeps everything about this this just feels really intense yeah i i mean i'm just going to be heaping more and more praise on this essentially uh, if you've never checked out deeper fundus well worth going back to it i i think maybe the highlight of vader's career but there's a lot of good stuff to come and this is certainly like the kind of best example of them going down that path of like technical complexity within this kind of template of Everything's still sounding like death or thrash metal. And uh, sort of learning sort of big lessons, barring that the kind of ending track, Reborn in Flames, um, very short and to the point. Even Silent Empire, with its like almost first half of it is is like this kind of build-up intro. The rest of the song is in only another two minutes. So it's, it just blasts through. You, you don't even really have a chorus with that song. Um, Act of Darkness is, is less than two minutes long in total. Like, Vader, a band who gets to the point very quickly and throw a lot of riffs into a short space of time. And I think they're able to do so well because Peter and Doc are just such a kind of technically proficient unit. They can just, you know, do a huge amount with um, within these structures. quickly from um deeper fundus we get the future of the past album which will lean into a very long-running tradition of uh, vader of doing a shit ton of covers uh, so future of the past is a 11 track covers album 
And it's one of those things where I don't know they're doing anything particularly incredible with it. Like, so the majority of it is covers of bands like Sodom, Creator, Terrorizer, Possessed, Dark Angel, Celtic Frost, Slayer. You know, stuff that now you've heard, like, you know, heard any of their music you know they love these bands. And honestly, the covers sound like, you know, very well-captured, very well-performed versions of those songs with Doc and Vader's kind of staple put on them. Um, I don't think if you're, like, you know, you have a long familiarity with Flag of Hate, you, this is suddenly going to be a better version of it for you. But I, I did pick this album up when I was quite young, and I remember... It's being the thing that introduced me to most of those bands. This is the reason I picked up Sodom and Creator and Terrorizer albums afterwards. Like, I heard these tracks, thought they were amazing, and went and looked them up. So, yeah, they suddenly got value in that sense. And it does get into some more interesting territory towards the end. Um, the final track, I believe, is the same version of, as from the Sophos EP, that Black Sabbath cover they have on there. Which is a really funny cover if you you've never heard it before. It's it's Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath, and does the whole intro very true to the original. But when you get to the last heavy moment, rather than um, you know copying kind of what Bill Ward does in it, Doc suddenly goes into standard Doc Invader mode, and the double kicks like come in full pelt, whammy bar solos, all sorts of stuff, and they add this kind of interesting ending to it. It's certainly not improving on one of the all-time great metal songs, but it's an interesting take on it. And the other sort of weird one is um, a cover of Depeche Mode, um, I Feel You, which apparently was um, put in at uh, Doc's request, because he is also a big fan of that kind of uh, new wave sound as well. Um, again, don't really think it improves on the original, but it, it's interesting to see Vader sort of dipping their toes into that water. This brings us up to 1997 with their third album, Black to the Blind. With Black to the Blind, um, which I'm going to have real trouble saying many times, there's another lineup change. Uh, China leaves the band and is replaced by uh, Mauser, who is from the band uh, Desiree, who at, at this point had done, um, I think, two demo tapes, one of which China is actually on as the second guitarist and Many of you will probably know um, Doc later went on to be the band's drummer for their, I believe, all three of their their full-length albums. So Mauser is definitely coming in as a more proficient technical guitarist. He's um, He brings a certain sort of um, lead guitar kind of technicality to the band that hadn't really been there. They're very technical uh, rhythm playing, but Peter's not the, the kind of flashiest solo guy, to say. Very much a uh, Slayer worshipper on that front for the most part. But what's really interesting with Black to the Blind, it starts a trend that um, I've kind of noticed with Vader albums, especially listening to them all in order like I have the last couple of days. Um, each Vader album feels kind of like a reaction to the last one. They always try and do something slightly different within, you know, the set template If their albums are always going to be these kind of really aggressive death thrash albums. But whereas Deeper Fundus was kind of the more flashy kind of complex display and uh ultimate incantation was i don't know it felt more like a kind of classic death metal album black to the blind really seems to be um just worshipping rain in blood like very specifically the album is 10 tracks 29 minutes long um and it's has that kind of gnarly rain in blood super raw like 
everything in your face production. It's certainly, yeah, one of their most, like, kind of uh, intense in your face albums. The thing that Black to the Blind suffers from is, unlike Rain in Blood, the first and last track are not the most memorable ones. The best stuff is in the middle of the album. Tracks like Carnal, Fractal Light, True Names are amazing songs. And I'd actually say what puts me off listening to this one as regularly as some others. I think the opening track, Heading for Internal Darkness, is the worst song on it. Um, but, it, you know, once it takes off, it really gets going with a kind of intensity I, I don't know Vader ever had before. Like, they, it's um, it's quite a nasty album. I'm not sure the production works as well for them as it did for um, it did for Slayer, but you know, Doc putting in that usual drum performance, the fact like the the guitars have got a bit more kind of complex and weird, it really like adds to it. Like uh, Fractal Light, particularly that that sound is is really helps with it. I yeah, I, I enjoy Black to the Blind a lot, and I I know it's the one. Uh, both the band and fans are, are very fond of. For me, it's probably the one in the Doc era I revisit the least, and I don't know whether that's that's kind of a, a sacrilege or not. But yeah, well worth going back and, and listening to it again, because it's, it's another extremely short release. This is the first Vader album, I believe, where uh, Peter has a producer credit as well, so you can see he's kind of very much dominating this one. I think, it, I think it's recorded at a small um, Polish studio. I didn't recognise the the name of the the other guy uh, credited with sort of production engineering. Interestingly, because this is incredibly rare, it's mastered by a woman, uh, Julieta Emilio, who, I, I, honestly, I just can't think of many albums mastered by women. It's, it's a strange thing that just... Yeah, that doesn't seem to be that common. She's got a couple of credits from this era. She she'd done a cat album ahead of time, who were kind of a fairly big deal in in the Polish scene, and probably why Vader Vader went with her. And she yeah did, went on to do a few more sort of mainly death metal albums by bands like uh, Devlin um, afterwards. But yeah, not other than that, not not a great deal of information I can find on her. Also something that's worth uh, mentioning around this period, I think just before the recording of Black, Black to the Blind, uh, Peter dropped out of university where he was sort of studying biology. And I believe at this point he um, he already had kids as well. So he really was taking a big risk and putting all his eggs in the basket of Vader and that became his full-time thing. And happily that's kind of worked out and he's managed to keep that going all these years. Um, yeah, again, very much quoting from that... Uh, uh, Reaper Metal Productions interview with him that's well worth checking out on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, Vader were now his full time concern. And you will see that in the the spate of releases that, that follow this. Yeah, so almost immediately uh, after that album, we get the, the next EP, Kingdom, which, um, as Vader EP goes, it's not a particularly memorable one. There's a new version of Breath of Centuries, which I don't really think improves on it. It's, it's a four-track one. I think it's only really notable for the kind of single of it, the title track, Kingdom, which is a rare kind of version of Vader really kind of slowing things down and getting quite kind of heavy and vaguely atmospheric. Uh, uh, yeah, so probably, probably again, one I, I would advise skipping over other than maybe checking that track out. And at the same time, we get um, Live in Japan, a, a far more like appropriate live album where... There's a nice mixture of tracks from their free albums um, and 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 covers of both Black Sabbath and Raining Blood uh, very much uh, wearing their influences on, on their sleeve. 
again, this is full of intros and interludes, something the band I think we're going to get more and more into over the over the next few years. This brings us on to an album I've covered quite a few times in this podcast, 2000's Litany. So um, the, the lineup is solidified, it's exactly the same lineup as um, Black to the Blind, but you know, they've now been touring for quite a few years of that, and they put out... Again, one of their most impressive albums. It's it's an album I've revisited a huge amount over the years. It's it's one of their more... In, I'm going to say it's a lot, I, I imagine. But it, it feels like a very intense one because of how it's mixed. The Doc's drum performance is so front and centre. Like, absolutely, like just monstrous kick drum sound. Like, And coupled with actually quite a good bass tone as well on tracks like... Uh, sort of really comes through on tracks like Wings and uh, uh, Kefir. I won't go on about this one too long because I've reviewed it at length very recently, but I, I do think um, it's a real highlight of, um, of Vader's career, in, especially if you like their more kind of short-form, like, more brutal tracks, actually. This this is I, probably the album they get closest to being a kind of, like, brutal band with, but just because it's got so much kind of heavy low end to it it real really feels like one where they very much lent into the rhythm section and doc's really getting a chance to kind of show off his amazing kind of blasting skills it's a very groovy and memorable album like uh tracks like kefir and um one made of dreams or cold demons are incredibly memorable um (laughs) cold demons particularly for all its weird kind of tank fighting samples but it, that, like, that doesn't stop like the incredible kind of drum performance behind it just cutting through and and sounding absolutely brilliant. Also, I think this is the first one where uh, Peter starts putting sort of notes in the lyric books alongside the lyrics, hence why I know how to actually pronounce uh, Kefir, because um, he's clearly his grasp of English has got to, you know, very high stand and his lyric writing is starting to become really engaging and you know becoming a band you actually want to sort of go through the the lyric booklets with their tracks the thing that um always puts me in mind of fresh with vader though in in that particular realm is very good lyric writing but it has something that i see as more of a fresh or even like old heavy metal trait of there is no kind of logical consistency to what the songs are about there's there's tracks on this about tanks egyptian mythology uh anti-christian stuff it's just any any subjects they felt felt they're going with, and they'd pretty much stay on that track for the rest of the career. Like they they'll they'll sing about whatever Peter fancies talking about. Don't know if necessarily a bad thing. It just yeah, it feels like more of a kind of eighties band trend, whereas like death metal bands seem to tend towards a lyrical theme. You know, Cannibal Corpse have got gore. Um, yeah, like Entombed have primarily zombies. Like they like there is more of a consistency in death metal and that's where Vader kind of um sit apart and yeah feel more like a throwback to like Frash in that vein. Yeah. <laughs> 
same year they put out the Rain Forever World EP, which very much I think is similar to Kingdom. Kingdom was loads of offcuts from Black to the Blind. This feels like three tracks that didn't quite make the mark for um, for Litany. And as good as they are, like uh, Frozen Paths is, is a great track. I think Litany does well for you know staying within that like kind of just past thirty minute runtime and cutting this sort of uh, ten additional ten minutes of music. To pad this out to make it a full release, we also get um, three covers in the form of a, a Total Destruction by Destruction, which works really well. Rapid Fire by Judas Priest, which really doesn't work that well. You can't remove Rob Halford from that song. <laughs> and it kind of, I don't know, replacing the singing with screams loses a whole dynamic there. And very interestingly, Freezing Moon by Mayhem, which is, is good fun. And just interesting to see that... Um, Peter, Doc, and co. had some interest in black metal at that point in time. Uh, and then there's there's four live tracks, uh, which are, yeah, they're kind of kind of cool. Nothing nothing particularly special. But overall, Rain Forever World's uh, pretty, pretty decent for one of their EP releases. And actually, um, I think the easiest way to pick it up these days is it's packaged with their um, Blood EP, which I'll come to in a bit. But yeah, that is actually well worth getting into. This brings us, though, I don't think there's any releases in between, to 2002's um, Revelations, now on uh, Metal Blade Records. I, uh, which actually, yeah, should say, listening, they moved to Metal Blade Records. So, you know, sort of going up in the world in terms of labels at this point in time. I think Metal Blade, still, yeah, well, they've always had a fair amount of clout. Um, and once again, I think, yeah, we've got um, more or less the same lineup, although Shambo has been replaced on bass. Not that that means anything in terms of um in terms of like what the actual album sounds like but yeah we briefly have um Samon who uh played with the band for like a, around just every year so 2002's revelations i think somewhat like sort of takes his foot off the gas from the the kind of intensity of the previous two releases this one feels a little more focused on kind of um groove and making kind of really catchy memorable songs um Tracks like Epitaph, The Nomad, When Darkness Calls, The Code are kind of, yeah, really, really good kind of memorable Vader tracks uh, and have some have some moments yeah, that feel a bit different. Uh, Whisper actually even features guest backing vocals from Nurgle of Behemoth fame, showing that there's no, uh, <laughs> no bad blood between those two bands, despite, like, the huge amount of competition I think they would be in uh, soon. This point in time, early 2000s, Vader, very much the bigger band, um, but as soon as uh, Behemoth released Demigod, that was, yeah, all to change. Uh, Revelations also ends with the uh, interesting revelation of Black Moses, which, um, that doesn't sound quite as silly as it sounds to someone from the UK in Poland. Um, but yeah, like, it's, it's a cool kind of slower song, you know, kind of somewhat in the vein of something like Kingdom. The only thing I think it lacks is... Um, it feels like it would be a really good space for Mauser to have done, like, one of his more impressive, like, sort of melodic leads. But, uh, yeah, like, it sort of lacks a big solo at the end of it. That's, I mean, yeah, that's why I don't love it quite as much. In terms of, of their catalogue, I don't think Revelations is, is one of their sort of stronger albums, but it's got great stuff to it. You can see kind of... Um, Peter and Mauser's kind of lead guitar playing evolving with it. There's there's more touch of uh, kind of melodicism in there. Although I think that will kind of um, 
kind of improve and evolve more on some of the coming records. Uh, and, you know, that kind of rhythmic punch is still there. Doc is absolutely incredible on this release, as he has been on all the ones before it. But yeah, for some some reason, like, despite... Uh, so as I say, it is, it is a more memorable one. I think it lacking that real aggression um, means I don't come back to it quite as much. I just, I love the kind of punch of something like Litany. And it doesn't quite have the kind of technical madness of um, Deeper Fundus, or at least I wasn't hearing it in the same way. This brings us on to Doc's final release with the, the band, the Blood EP, one year later. And um, I don't know quite the story behind some of this, but a couple of bits in this feel like reworkings of tracks from Revelation. Um, particularly We Wait is definitely like mostly the same song as Whispers. Um, and actually, despite uh, it being like an EP version and not having the guest vocal performance from Nurgle, I think it's a stronger version of the song. And the Blood EP is actually brilliant. It's um, six full-length tracks and then a random Finn Lizzy cover, which... Not quite needed, but the 20 minutes of music we get on Blood is really fantastic. It's uh, it, it, it's much in the kind of, you know, same vein as what we've heard before. They are, they are hardly reinventing themselves. This totally does feel like stuff that could have been in the Revelation sessions. But unlike with the previous few EPs, Blood feels like some of the best material they'd written in the last couple of years. Like... I, I found this uh, especially like shape shifting and we wait as Son of Fire as well actually um, really kind of captivating Vader songs like showcasing quite a lot of their their sort of different styles sort of the last last couple of tracks in this are really short to the point ones but then shape shifting and when darkness calls are much longer kind of more expansive ones and it's really kind of showcasing the best of all their stuff in this like brief twenty minute thing so definitely a kind of um ep for you know dr garner real high and if you you know if you have only heard his kind of falling studio stuff and never checked out the blood ep this is a real kind of excellent release from the band there's something just about like the vocal delivery and sort of confidence in a lot of this like i, I find the, like the lyrics in this this album very engaging um yeah the peter just got something really white with the bloody p but it seems to be kind of i don't know maybe a slightly lesser known part of this discography purely because it's an ep and then you know you're never gonna get as many people pick that up because it's normally less music for the same price but yeah as i say vader are bound to do very well in short formats so 20 minutes uh really suiting them here <laughs> Sacredly do great plans 
Tragically, uh, master drummer Doc passed away in 2005, so Blood was his final release with Vader. Um, and yeah, like after doing five incredible albums of that band, three with Desiree, like, the guy has a kind of legendary status in metal, but yeah, like real tragic, like cut short at that point. It was the end of the career for Desiree, where you can see his final ever live performance, I believe, on the Art of Endless Creation DVD of theirs and show just like what a level he was at right up to the end. Like, he was such a clear driving force behind both those bands. Like, I, I don't think Vader would be anything like what they are today if it wasn't for having had such a powerful drumming force in those early releases. He did just the sort of the night and day between uh, Live and Decay and the Necrolust demo, like he came in and just added so much to those bands. So this does mean Vader were in a weird place um, looking for like their first new drummer and first like real big change to the personnel in in studio uh, going into their next album. So the lineup for 2004's The Beast is completed by uh, Dare, who um, he's kind of a guy who's been around in a few sort of projects connected to a lot of famous kind of Polish musicians. He was at the time playing, and he's actually, I think he's still in this band, uh, Fasania, who are um, Orion from Behemoth's kind of symphonic black metal project, which he plays guitar and does vocals for. He was also uh, playing in Neolithic on, I think, like their final release before they morphed into Black River, which another project that uh, at that point in time featured Orion, although that band, like, I love their very early stuff. They, they totally lost me by this point in time. But yeah, he's he's a very accomplished and skilled drummer. The the issue, like, he is certainly not the issue with The Beast. Um, I think this is the band's least favourite of their recordings, because Peter, like, uh, I've heard say, like, this was the one where they sort of bowed to like fan pressure for what they should do and ended up making a kind of oddly for them commercial sounding album it's sort of it's sort of following on from revelations it's the first one where like it doesn't have that thing of the album felt like trying to do something different to the predecessor they sort of lent more into that kind of catchy vibe from the previous album but kind of miss like you can tell they're going for big choruses and memorable bits like particularly in dark transmission and out of the deep which i for my money just don't really land it's there's nothing wrong with the beast it's just when you've got a discography as rich and dense as vader's it just like listening through nothing stood out to me as particularly amazing on it it's got a few cool moments the sea came in at last it isn't a bad track but yeah I, I really post this, can't see myself sort of revisiting it regularly. It's it's just, you can tell a band were trying to work out what to do next after this sort of massive shift. But this does rapidly move us into an era I am very fond of. So the, the lineup, at least as a live band, is later rounded out by um, uh, bass player Novi, who yeah, sort of... Um, very well-known guy from the scene, particularly for the being the front man for Desiree, and was one of the 
more technically proficient bass players I've ever had. He's certainly in the live setting added a lot to the band. Um, he's actually previously in Behemoth as well. I, I think he he might even be on their Satanica album, which for my money is still one of the best uh, Behemoth releases out there. So there is a very short release, which I really like from 2005, called The Art of War, basically for about six minutes of music on it. The whole, the whole thing's 15 minutes long. But it's the first time I think the band truly nailed the kind of trying to bring in a kind of symphonic intro. Parabellum, the the one minute thirty opener, flows perfectly into um, this is the war, the kind of big single from this. And yeah, these these huge kind of orchestral swells with this like kind of military like sounding kind of snare drum beat coming in, and then that gives way to the kind of full blasting fury to follow and there's still like touches of the the kind of orchestral interlude over the start of the track proper so they they kind of flow perfectly together um Daray's drumming is really kind of uh coming into his own here he's he's his blasts do sound like that much more intense he i don't think he ever quite gets to the dock level none of these releases of the band quite have that litany kind of punch to them but i remember at the time like hearing this is when it came out and being quite kind of blown away by that drum performance so he's certainly no slouch he's just following like a true master uh and yeah, then the next track lead us is just more absolutely brilliant kind of balls of the wall vader stuff where the kind of Mauser and uh, Peter have this really cool, like, like sort of lead trade off in the middle. It's got a really catchy chorus, but the verse is really heavy. And then the yeah, sort of peters out after that. Like there's a there's an interlude track, and the next two tracks are not bad, but they're not as good as that first few minutes. Hey, anyway, I've spoken a lot about the CPU before, but if you really enjoy this era of Vader and haven't checked it out, it's got some great stuff on it. But very quickly following that. They put out um, their next full-length 2006 Impressions in Blood. Same lineup again. And for my money, this is like a real highlight of the sort of middle period of Vader's career. I think it has some of that kind of deeper fundus energy where they've sort of experimented and there's a lot of different ideas. Like it's it's not all in the kind of same vein. It's very much um uh like lots of tracks trying different things so much as you like the the preceding ep we have a orchestral intro track into a kind of really kind of catchy like blasty vader song in the form of shadow like uh between night and day into shadow fear which i i really love shadow fear as kind of a a heavier more intense kind of vader song then um with Heavens Collide, uh, Darius gets to really kind of show off his kind of drum drum work over some more kind of open riffs for a bit, like much like that kind of Silent Empire um, first half. And again, like something with a really kind of memorable chorus. The point where they maybe push too far on the memorable choruses is track four, Hallelujah, God is Dead, um, which comes across a bit silly i think um like it ended up being the sequel for the album but um yeah it's a very kind of direct sing-along kind of track for vader which uh, they start putting a lot of these into the album and it's like following this point i think that's the first kind of example of it um 
Field of Heads has this whole odd, like, minute-long kind of percussion outro, which again, it feels like an experimental uh, choice for Vader. Actually, um, talking of experimentation, Predator is the first ballad the band did. And I, I, I actually think it really works, but it is kind of a, a you know, a sort of melodic, melancholy track, which features a really kind of, um, you know beautiful bit of lead guitar work uh Mauser gets a few moments like this on the album so tracks like shadow fear he's you know dive bombing al along with uh with peter and it's all this kind of like messy kind of fury but then in tracks like this and later in the album amongst the ruins he goes to these kind of very melodic pieces and then to close the album out we have they live in the book which um pull back and do more of the kind of um use of the orchestral stuff before going into the kind of like the blast beats i think is uh, i quite like the cover of the album it's uh it's a bit over the top and everything but it's kind of like i think it's kind of like doctored photos and so on making this kind of weird gruesome collage but very much feels a tribute to the kind of rain and blood through uh seasons in the abyss era slayer art work but yeah i, I think there's something fairly unsettling about it with its like kind of odd symmetry and yeah those kind of pretty twisted um, images. But as I say, yeah, Impressions in Blood is a real highlight of this era for me. It just seems to write everything that made the Beast non-memorable. Like this one just, I find myself wanting to revisit it a lot. And I think because the lineup is quite different from like both before and after, it has kind of a unique sound to it. So I, I do find myself revisiting Impressions quite a lot. I see myself Um, in 2006, the band also got together to do a single track with like music video um, to tie in with CD Projekt Red's uh, release of the first Witcher game, I believe. I think the first one. Um, and it's it's quite an interesting thing because it's possibly the most kind of um, commercially friendly song I think Vader ever did. And, you know, 
specifically singing about the story of The Witcher, but it's quite a cool song, and there's certainly worse um, computer gaming companies to be in bed with than CD Projekt Red, especially this early on in their development. Um, it actually was the first song uh, my band Voitite learnt many years ago. Um, uh, Rob, uh, my uh, old co-host, um, it suggests we did that one because that was the song that actually got him into Vader. Uh, so, yeah, like possibly tying themselves like with marketing to that actually did them a lot of favors. A year later, we get the um, the DVD and uh, I believe live album as well, and Blood was shed on Warsaw, uh, which is like a quite short set actually. It's only just over an hour, but I think it's like a. Re I found it to be a really engaging kind of performance. They play a really good range of stuff, starting with stuff of the new album, um, using that amazing kind of intro to Shadow Fear, but then you know. Bringing back stuff from most of the catalogue, there's a lot of cuts from um, uh, Deeper Fundus on this, as well as um, a great kind of medley of tracks from uh, Litany towards the end of this. I even get Dark Age off the first album, and it was a great showcase of the band at that point in time. As I say, bass player Novi really added something, I think, to the live performance, because he's a very technically gifted player using his, uh, his patented blast slap technique, where... Rather than, you know, most bass players Vader would have throughout their career would be a guy with a pick, he would play this hyper-fast kind of um, bits following the guitar, doing entirely slap bass, and he seemed to be adding more in that, that kind of um, vein. I always felt it was kind of a shame he wasn't included in the studio process, but, I mean, Peter clearly had that down to such a routine at that point. Um, so, it's great to have a really cool capture of him in live. And there's a fun um, ending to this where... Orion from Behemoth comes out on stage to do vocals for Rykonesia, uh, a cover of, uh, say, legendary um, Polish band Cat. I didn't mention as well, there was actually an earlier DVD, but I think um, they've got a couple of older videos, but quite a cool one, uh, Night of the Apocalypse, has um, three different sets, uh, like shorter sets, I think one of them like on tour, like supporting Slipknot or something like that, and that's got a varied lineup in the band like doc plays on some of it and uh yeah the various different members you can see beyond that kind of like changing lineup through the uh mid 2000s but yeah for my money and um, blood was shed on Volsor was is the one to get that's the if you want a vader live dvd or live album that i think is their sort of real highlight on that front this moves us into an odd year for vader uh 2008 they're Still with Regain Records, I think they've been with them for the last, like, two albums. Um, and they put out a series of releases I just can't really see the point in. They do two EPs back-to-back, -back, Lead Us and um, Upcoming Chaos, which feature sort of some... Like, one of them's just got tracks off the older album, Lead Us and the book uh, are there, plus a couple of covers. Um... And then Upcoming Chaos is some sort of re-recordings of a couple of classic tracks like Carnal, Incantation and Crucified ones. It's just both felt very unnecessary and really not worth the kind of uh, the the price of, of buying an EP. Because this is, you know, slightly before digital downloads or streaming is kind of a thing. They felt very much like just putting something out to have them out. And then after that, we get the 25-year anniversary record, which, again, is one of those mistakes. I just, I don't see the point in these. It's where a band has 
totally re-recorded with a modern lineup their old songs. So they do the first is a two disc one, and they basically cover every popular song from the Doc era with uh, Dare and uh, Mauser playing them, and like add in additional kind of orchestric orchestral interludes to these tracks. But there's not a, I, I, mean, I bought at the time because I was a real dedicated fan. And honestly, even like when I was younger, really trying to like it, I couldn't say a single one of these improved on the original. Uh, I guess Cold Demons was kind of nice because there was a version of it that's like 30 seconds shorter because it hasn't got any of the samples in it, which is kind of interesting to hear. But honestly, that is also true of the live DVD. And all this stuff sounds amazing on the live DVD and, and the studio version kind of feels unnecessary. I... I think it's one of those things, I don't get in situations like this, why this wasn't just recorded as a live set. If this was recorded as a live album, I think I'd really enjoy it. But as a sort of re-recording things, it, it almost feels like, I don't know, just trying to overwrite old classics, which is it's kind of unnecessary. At this point, um, Vader's lineup kind of completely implodes. I think uh, Mauser quits first to go play an unsung uh, kind of like gothic metal band fronted by his wife. Um, uh, Darie just returns to his, his other projects and, and Novi seems to kind of like disappear off the map after kind of being on some quite successful albums. I don't think he's done a huge amount since. Um, so they managed to pull together a, a kind of um, a lineup for the new album that's... Well, I think the lineup like accredited at the top of the album is with... Um, uh, drummer Paul from uh, Antigamma, who I I'm not particularly familiar with, but he seems to be involved in a fair few kind of projects. Um, and uh, Rayash on bass from Supreme Lord and Witchmaster. And then guitarist Vog um, of Decapitated fame, which is very exciting. Sadly, these guys only make it to the, the special, like, bonus edition live DVD. The actual recording album, uh, recording lineup for the album is just... Uh, Paul on drums and and Peter right? and I think there's a couple of couple of guest solos from who were going to be their next guitarist Spider, uh, but he hasn't officially joined the band at this point. And what results with Necropolis is a weirdly unfocused album. It's it's got some great moments. I really like the single "Never Say My Name." Um, towards the end of the album, "Anger" is another great like sort of two minute blasting kind of raging one and then actually when the sun drowns in dark i think is is a closer much like revelations of black moses that sort of really builds up and gets epic and atmospheric and then has like the brilliant bit of lead guitar to bring it home um it's just like sort of the middle of the album sort of really loses me like tracks like dark heart and impure are not remotely memorable and then there's a bit too much pissing around with like weird interludes like summoning the futura that just just doesn't really work for me in some ways it's a very interesting album because you can tell it's sort of between eras like it's uh, one with you know yet another different drummer and it has a very different sound to it i think possibly if that um live lineup had been able to record it i think uh, vog being involved in that process could have been really interesting sadly uh sadly never to be but this is certainly a transitional period i mean realistically that previous lineup only actually did a couple of studio releases but i think they were quite 
well known for their sort of live performances whereas the necropolis is impressive in terms of considering it's a band recovering from just like this complete change um it's very well put together and it does have strong moments that are well worth um well worth sort of listening to versus the rest of their catalogue i just don't think as a as a full album it feels quite as focused as release either side of it <laughs> somewhat wrong um paul does another album the band so actually welcome to the morbid reich is basically a continuation of that same lineup with spider actually officially joining them so spider was in peter's very short-lived side project panzer x who just did a single ep which never really appealed to me and also he's the guitarist and vocalist for um the band escorial um, so, you know, who had been going since 1991, apparently, and he was on there, um, like, with them for three albums as far back as 1998. So the guy's been around the scene a while and clearly, like, a talented and sort of gifted musician and certainly can be seen with these couple of albums and all of them going forward. He's still in the band at, at the point of recording, um, injecting a huge amount of melodicism into Vader's guitar work particularly Lee's artwork, that's the only thing he actually plays on, on the albums. And I know some Vader fans see this kind of Necropolis onwards era as a bit of a betrayal of their values. I've certainly had that conversation with people, but I don't know, to me it still seems appropriate. appropriate. Like, a slight touch more melodicism isn't exactly causing any harm to their sound. Like, their, their albums still have an incredibly aggressive edge to them. Obviously, by modern standards, they're not as kind of um, aggressive as some death metal can be, but I, I certainly think Vader albums still pack a punch, particularly a couple albums we'll be getting to in a bit. But so let's focus on Welcome to More Right, because it does feel like a, a bit of a, a change in, in sound again, and it uh, definitely a more focused album than Necropolis. Um, it's... Got some in the first half. He's got some extremely strong moments. Actually, this is a rare one where the longer songs are really working in its favour. Um, Come see my sacrifice, and I am who feasts upon your soul. 
both have some really cool kind of memorable melodic sections in them spaced out between some cool kind of like more blasting stuff the only place where the album sort of falls down is um around the second half there's a couple of bland songs towards the middle of the album like uh, i had a dream and uh lord of thorns just i don't don't hugely work for me the uh, the new version of decapitated saints i kind of love because peter is clearly leaning into the like that song's nature of how fast he can sing in the in like um and it just like yeah wanted to get a more recent capture of that track from the from the demo era and just show off how much he can enunciate at such pace in it to so say now archbire exists it's it's hardly hardly unique but i remember at the time this came out sort of hearing that song again where his vocals were pushed into that much more clarity of a modern recording um yeah and just being like oh my god i, I can't believe how quick he is i'd say morbid gets a lot right um you know obviously he's a bit of a poison chalice to reference their wildly successful demo and the title but i, I kind of love what they've done with the cover art like that sort of um picture of like a structure from an evil empire over this like apocalyptic red landscape kind of um bringing a lot of their kind of traditional imagery i think it's it, it's a much nicer sounding recording than the previous album as well like there's something a bit stale and lifeless about necropolis's sound whereas morbid reich really feels a bit more um natural also we get the first of this um ever i think with vader of guest backing vocals like spider adds well not guest even like a, a member of the band doing backing vocals spider adds these kind of higher pitch like more kind of i guess melodic death metal style screams over sections of the vocals he's normally layered in with peter so there'll be like his kind of half scream over peter's very recognizable rasp and i think it works i think i don't think it detracts at all um yeah there's a lot there's a lot of um changes in this album as i say they really leaning into more melodic solos backing vocals it does feel like peter was opening up to others getting a bit more involved also the album features a rare really good vader cover in the form of um or at least i really like it anyway troops of tomorrow uh, a cover of an exploited track where they've kind of made it like way more atmospheric and interesting than the original like really really changed up the format of the song um and yeah it felt like a kind of interesting way to the end of the album like it's actually yeah I, I like it a lot more than the kind of a lot of the closing tracks on it Shadows on the burning sky 
So this brings us on to Vader's 2014 album, Tibi et Igni, which I think many people see as a real return to form for Vader. Quite possibly their best release post um, post Doc being in the band, like at least uh, possibly even post Litany. They are joined by a new drummer, uh, James Stewart, a young British drummer who's I don't think has a huge amount of credits. Um, before this but has gone on to be in some interesting things like he's played with decapitated and bloodshot dawn and berserker legions um and he he's absolutely excellent i think i saw him with the band just before this album was released and just couldn't believe how good he was at drums like obviously he'll never quite live up to doc because doc was that good in an age where there wasn't that many true blast beat monsters like that but he is doing some pretty spectacular stuff and uh the lamps rounded out by uh bass player hal who i don't assume isn't recording uh bass on the albums but it does mean their live lineup has settled down and their live lineup has remained the same through to through to the present day i, I believe um all, all four of these guys are still with the band currently yeah yeah so um yeah so i think that's weird. James is credited as joining in 2011, but um, I don't think he was... Oh, yeah, he must have joined... Yeah, Morbid Wright was 2011. So, yeah, he must have joined just as that was released. So, by the time he, three years later, he's going into Tibia Igni, he must be well-seasoned the band. Yeah, because I saw him at Hellfest in, like, 2011 when he must have been, like, 21 or something, but absolutely blew me away as a drummer at that point. That... Yeah, really, really gifted. And Tibia Digni is just the album where they they just really find something they've been lacking for a bit. It's far more furious and aggressive than the last two, three, like four, every release back to listening, actually, if I'm honest. it's It's got that kind of in-your-face energy again. The, the drum performance just seems so much more full and punishing. And it... It does show, as, as good as the previous two drummers were, that Vader needed that sort of backbone um, just to make their songs really pop. Um, it also, though, despite that, features some of the most long and expansive songs they've um, like they've they've done in a while. It's just got a bit of everything, which I really like. Those Vader albums where they sort of change it up and try different things. the The track Hexenkessel. If it wasn't for Peter's vocals, I can't believe the. I would never have believed it's a Vader track. It's it features this ridiculous over-the-top orchestral um, intro, and then the primary riffing to it feels like it wouldn't be out of place on like a necrophobic album or or something like that. It's got a real kind of like melodic black metal sensibility with all these kind of like kind of epic tremolo picked um, riffs, but then. Follow, to follow that up to show, like, you know, Vader haven't lost their uh, classic touch, we get two kind of real short, um, like, absolutely, you know, blast-your-head-off tracks in the form of Abandonal Hope and Worms of Eden, and then another epic moment of the amazing Eyes of the Abyss. Just real back and forth between these. It's a very kind of... Um, you know, well-tooled production. Um, should say at this point, the the band, the last three albums have been with Nuclear Blast. Like they left Regain before that, and I think um, 
Vader have always said they're quite happy with their relationship with Nuclear Blast. Like, and they, I will say, like Nuclear Blast have done a fantastic job of pushing them. I've always been well aware of uh, of Vader's presence in recent years, and since I think Impressions in Blood, they've been like recording and working with the same kind of studio guys over at uh, Hertz Studio in in Poland. Um, and this just seems to be, yeah. First album in a while where they've really just got the sound right, and I think I think that drum performance is a lot of it, but it's got a very full, weighty production to it. Possibly a bit bright for uh, some people's taste, but I, I I don't think Vader really suffer from a very a very clean production. It doesn't have the kind of slightly lifeless nature the Beast and Necropolis had. Like this, this does feel I don't know. I, I really like it. Um, as I say, what what makes it great is the amount of variation in it. Now, including the bonus track, is actually one of the longest releases they've done. Like coming in uh, over the the fifty minute mark, um, there's a sort of a think a re-recording of Necropolis, a track from their very very early years. It's a track that's um, on the Live in Decay demo, um, and yeah, like that. It sounds kind of cool. It sounds like a completely different band. Like it does sound like they're covering a band that aren't even a death metal band but it's it's interesting to hear that and then uh there's a dash ik cover right at the end of the album um once again leaning into their sort of uh covering of like kind of gothy stuff which features like peter almost singing and it's i, I think it's really good like again much like troops of tomorrow it, it's a cover where they've taken an original and done something weird and interesting with it yeah tibi et igni if you want to listen to vader post really the kind of like 90s era i think this is the start point it's pretty excellent release Okay. 
So around this time, I think there's another live release that I didn't actually have a chance to um, to check out. And um, the second installment of the Future of the Past series, this time um, Helen the East. And this is a really interesting release of the band. Um, much like the old Future of the Past album, it's about 10 cover tracks. What's different with this is they are focusing entirely on those kind of death metal demo bands from behind the Iron Curtain. A lot of bands that they kind of had overlap with um, uh, bands such as Imperator, Crabifor, um Slashing Death, who I mentioned earlier, I believe, um, Doc's old band, covering tracks from these, a lot of these bands never made it out of, um, out of like their first couple of demos, but are like, so this is a really interesting playlist, like, it's a cool recording and all that, but actually it's just a fantastic thing to jump off on and go look up all the cool bands, uh, kind of, that Vader are referencing because I guarantee like you you won't have heard of all of these there's a lot of like really interesting stuff and they're nodding to like the classic um very late 80s early 90s Polish death metal scene after that um there's the Iron Times EP which is kind of a like another sort of fairly pointless um putting something out for the sake of it release I think like there's a track that ends up on the Empire and um and a couple of covers but they're nothing to really write home about then we get to 2016's the empire and actually i have to say despite my love of this lineup i've seen them live a lot i think they're brilliant i think like the albums and eps either side of this are very good and the live releases are very good i don't get the empire i i don't know what it is about this album but it's Possibly, it's, I think it's the ahead of this, it was the only full-length Vader album I didn't actually own, um, ahead of starting my research for this. But I think I remember at the time it came out, it left me kind of cold. Like, I quite like the single, but it's just lacking something. As I say, with most Vader albums, they seem to be a reaction to the one that came out before. So, after things got a little, like, experimental and varied with Tibby... The Empire, they've gone for another, like, half-hour-long, real straight-ahead, ten-tracked. Like, it, it, in some ways, it feels like them going to the back-to-the-black-to-the-blind formula. But I just don't think it's got the tracks to carry it like black-to-the-blind. There's something about this album that just really left me cold. And maybe it's because it's the one I didn't know, and, like, I'd, I've been listening to all these in a row. But, yeah, for whatever reason... Did not love the Empire. Parabellum, um, really good track. Confusingly, same name as a track off their um, Art of War EP, but without a space in it. Um, totally different song, but that that song's really cool. But yeah, like maybe I just hit Vader Overload at this point. I did enjoy though the EP that follows it up uh, a year later. Uh, what's what was that called? Uh, Thy Messenger, another real short kind of Art of War style EP where. It's mainly original music. Um, there's like a re-recording of Listeny and then a slightly misjudged Judas Priest cover. But the other, uh, I guess it's only about five minutes of music. It's really cool. Um, yeah, it's probably one to check out on Spotify. Like again, it's it's under 15 minutes long, so wouldn't necessarily shell out for like the disc of it. But also it's got a really cool album cover, actually. I think it's one of their, their best looking covers they've had in a while of this kind of skeletal figure um emerging from the grave i realize i skipped over one release there in uh 2017 they put out dark age which is a re-recording of um 
ultimate incantation with the title Peter was originally going to give the album, named after the, the first single from it. Again, much like the 25th anniversary release, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't improve on the original. I, I struggled to see the the necessity of it. Possibly if you hurt, if you didn't already like the first album, this would be of interest, but I think the, the first album is too locked in my mind. I can't really appraise this properly. And in that, that interview I've referenced a few times, like, Peter sort of said this wasn't actually quite what they wanted to do. I think... They were trying to sort of remaster the original, but um, are unsurprisingly clashing with Eric Records, who are a massive bunch of dicks. Um, yeah, so so that was yeah, that was a fair bit before the Thy Messenger EP. Thy Messenger EP directly before their um, their latest album um, up to date, uh, Solitude and Madness from twenty twenty. Now, Solitude and Madness, um, I would say possibly the first time they didn't actually have a reaction to their previous um previous one this is another one in that black to the blind vein it's it's 11 tracks and just under uh half an hour runtime and is an absolute furious blast fest um the like the first three tracks are all under three minutes and really really catchy but brutal the something about this is again like the production feels way more alive than it did on the empire there's something about it um that yet yeah, suddenly really jumps out first time with a a new guy a new studio guy since um since impressions in blood actually scott atkins of grindstone studios um who's yeah he definitely is i I don't know the thing about this is just it sounds so much better than the the album like a couple of years earlier and it's it is doing nothing new for vader you've certainly heard this before but i think with this current lineup it's very different to tibiagni it doesn't have anywhere near as much of that kind of experimentation they've toned down a lot on the kind of orchestral stuff as well um the only tracks to get a bit more kind of epic and weird and maybe and satan webb's got a couple of moments like that but overall it just feels like vader going back for an aggressive pummeling release and really it sits well in their catalog because i think this is the best of the kind of modern lineup doing the more um aggressive thrashy end of vader sound possibly well definitely not my favorite i'd say both uh, impressions in blood and tibia igni i uh, prefer but i think solitude and madness has really got something to it and it seems to have like um captured people's imagination like it did i i heard a lot of buzz about this when it came out in 2020 i remember a lot of people thinking vader had really you know pushed the bar again and came out with another really great release and and actually it being that many years past um tibia igni it felt it felt time to get like really excited about a Vader album again, and yeah, I I remember really enjoying this one. Another really cool cover as well, not quite as good as the Thy Messenger cover, but sort of similar vein. Um, yeah, so realistically, that that's gonna bring it to an end, I think, on Vader. I I, I don't want to dwell on it too more because I realize I've already gone on for over an hour and a half about them, so probably probably best to call it there. Um, They've got a few more live albums since. Again, I didn't get to them in the research. As I say, the, the playlist I went through was over 20 hours long. It's, yeah, it was a fairly exhausting listen, especially considering it's a band that, you know, 
somewhat sit in a similar vein for most of their releases. In kind of summation, I think Vader have always been a kind of unique voice in death metal because they've kept sort of death metal's kind of intensity and almost complexity while still having such a clear nod to the kind of thrash metal that sort of spawned it, that sort of nastier, more evil end of things, your kind of German thrash and slayer scene. And Peter having such a unique vocal delivery in that, coupling with these kind of amazing drummers over the years, has resulted in a, in a weird and unique sound. And while at this stage, obviously, they're far from the only incredible band from Poland, like it's a country who's produced so many influential bands over the years, they are kind of like the early torchbearer from that country. You know, first band from there ever to be on MTV and, you know, possibly we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have found bands like Decapitated as quickly if it wasn't for Vader, you know, getting them, getting the country kind of on the map in terms of somewhere producing truly high quality death metal. So if you haven't heard Vader before, let me know if this inspired you to check out any of their stuff. I I can only imagine if you haven't heard them before, this is an exhausting listen. Um, and if you aren't them, let me know what your favourite albums are. I'd say my my personal one, I think, has to be Deeper Fundus, but there's a lot of others in there. I, I'd, I'd be interested to know kind of how that breaks down, where, where they're real, where real well-loved albums uh, kind of sit, and particularly of the newer era, which ones of those have really connected with people. So um, following that, I've got a very appropriate nepotism corner. Um... Bloodrust have put out their second album, A Legacy of Vengeance. You may remember from 2020, uh, covered their debut album, Burning of Aeons. Um, Richard Keenan, the guy behind this, um, is, I think, big into, like, your older death metal. This is a band that take a lot of influence from, kind of, contemporaries to to bands like Vader. There's a lot of Bolt Thrower in here. Um, and and definitely nods to that older kind of nastier side of thrash, like touches of uh, Slayer and Sepultura, kind of in this kind of riffing. Um, and I, I think he's outdone himself. It's incredible, actually. Um, Burning Vans, I thought was a fantastic album, but I, I believe he's absolutely blown it out of the water with Legacy of Vengeance. Just a year later, it's really evolved on sort of every idea from the original. Everything's just been stepped up. Like the riff writing has has got more more interesting, and I I really enjoyed the debut. But yeah, they they just feels like the songs are kind of more varied, taking kind of interesting detours in in some of like the middle eight sections. Um, the vocals sound even better. Like his kind of like harsh snarl just feels a bit more weighty on this one. Again, like actually a vocal performance, not entirely a million miles off for Vader in that regard. Not your typical gutturals for um for death metal. Quite quite a unique voice um for that. Uh, subject matter wise, it's kind of I think primarily seated in various kind of like military history things. As like uh, the the cover is like a, a famous famous old painting, much like say the use of something like the Fourth Crusade cover, sort of similar vibe to that. He has told me what the um, uh, the sort of the artist behind it uh, is, but I have I've totally forgotten on recording this. While Richard is in charge of all, I believe all the drum programming, rhythm, guitar, bass, and vocals, he does have someone else on hand um, for sort of mixing, mastering in in the form of D. Thomas, who also plays a couple of solos, I think, on both albums. Also uh, worth noting is. Um, 
both these albums were recorded in the Falkland Islands and uh, that making Blood Rust, according to Metal Archives, uh, the only active metal band or the only metal band ever in the Falkland Islands. Two two metal albums have come out of the Falkland Islands and they're both for Blood Rust releases. Sure, it's kind of a, a cool, cool stat about them. Fortunately, I can't really review this properly because I'm too close to it. Like Richard shared a lot of these tracks with me in demo form uh, long before the release. So I've seen their, their evolution and be able to get hyped about it. But I do genuinely think this music is brilliant. It it really appeals to me. Like you, you've probably heard some of my like Death Metal Gems series. This is so kind of in line with the kind of influence of a lot of those bands that kind of it's really got a cool like 90s death metal vibe to it while still having some unique flavor as i say particularly like that vocal delivery and some of those kind of interesting departures on these tracks really make this stand out from the, the you know massively oversaturated sdm crowd it particularly if you enjoyed uh me covering vader go check out this band i, I really think they'll appeal on that kind of same level Anyway, all right, I think that'll, that'll do it for today. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can contact us at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com, philsbreakfastmetal on Facebook, or at breakfastmetal on Twitter. Uh,